Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is, in the, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you, Jeremy. You can go ahead and have a seat. So as we gather here tonight, a couple questions we're wrestling with. Uh, one is why would Paul say, as we read earlier in the book of Galatians, to boast in nothing more than we boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? And also as a church, we're going to wrestle with a little bit tonight, how then as we focus on the cross and we glory in the cross and all that it means, how then does that propel us or lead us to serve the vulnerable? We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Pastor Daniel's going to come in just a few minutes and lead us in that time. But mine, I'm going to take just a couple minutes here from this passage in Colossians and really prepare our hearts through the Word of God to take the Lord's Supper together in just a few minutes. We're going to do that together. As we look at this passage and we ponder on the cross tonight, here's a couple ways I want to approach this text. And you can look at it if you want. It's going to be pretty quick that we walk through this Colossians chapter 1. But... I think it will help us tonight to boast or to glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus if we see two things from this passage. First, if we're reminded very clearly from Colossians chapter 1, who it was on the cross. Paul lays that out for us very clearly here in Colossians 1. And then secondly, what was fully accomplished what was fully accomplished when Jesus from the cross said, it is finished. There's two things quickly. So first question, who, who was it on the cross? And, and, and we all know the answer. We'll say, well, it was Jesus. But I want us to, I want us to just revel tonight in the reality of who it was hanging on the cross who died for the sins of the world. Paul lays that out. Verse 15, he says, he... Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The word image there means a representation. We get the word icon from it. It literally means that Jesus is the perfect image, the exact representation. He is God in the flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity. You see Jesus, you see a perfect representation of all that God is. That's who was on the cross. The image of this invisible God made visible in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, He was the firstborn of all creation. It's not so much referring to His physical birth as a man, as much as it's referring to His superior rank over all of creation. No one has a higher rank, a higher status, a higher position of all of creation than the person of Jesus Christ. He has that position as firstborn 
over all of creation. Verse 16 says, He, Jesus, created all things. Now, think about this for a minute. Jesus on the cross, 100% God, 100% man, is the one who created all things. Every atom, every molecule, every cell, every being, seen or unseen, every angel, every human, every galaxy, every star, everything that was ever created or has been created was created by Jesus Christ. That's the one who is on the cross. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He created all things and All things were created by him and for him, Colossians says. The Jesus on the cross is the one who created every molecule, and every molecule in the universe exists for his glory. He's the one on the cross. Verse 17 says, he is before all things. This one on the cross was eternal. There was never a time that Jesus did not exist. He is eternal. He has existed forever. At a moment in time, he took on flesh and dwelt among us and stepped into the messiness of the fallen world. But prior to that, he had existed forever and ever as the second person of the Trinity. He, Jesus, is before all things, before time, before matter, before space, before humanity. He existed forever and ever and ever. He is before all things, and verse 17 says, and in him all things hold together. Think about that. Jesus is eternal, he is eternally God, and he is eternally powerful as the one who at present holds every molecule together. How does the world hold together? All things were created for him, by him, he has existed before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be the preeminent one, the one above all things is this one Jesus. And verse 19 says, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Jesus was not part God. He was all God. The point is this, is he was eternal. He was eternally powerful. He was eternally powerful God. That's why it makes sense in John chapter 10 when Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. No one could. It's eternal God. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from the Father, Jesus willingly laid down his life as the eternal, infinite God himself chose to lay down his life on the cross. Here's the application. I hope I hope this catches you like it caught me this week as I was just pondering on Colossians 1 and thinking through tonight and getting ready for Good Friday. We don't fully boast in the wonder and the glory of the cross if we see the one on the cross as anything less than God Almighty Himself on the cross. Not some kind of martyr, not just a Jewish rabbi. 
the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, Almighty God, in whom all things exist, for whom all things exist, God himself, the God-man on the cross. Paul said, may it be that we glory in nothing like the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only who was on the cross, and as we take the Lord's Supper in just a minute and we take the bread and we break it remembering the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to take the cup in just a minute remembering the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ I hope there's moments of worship for you and me as we remember the cross and remember that it was the God man who hung on the cross for, for the sins of the world nothing less Paul goes on here quickly in just a couple minutes not, not only who was on the cross but I want us to remember tonight as we glory in the cross what was accomplished by the cross verse 13 Paul says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son how did he do that through the cross there was a deliverance that takes place and you know this brothers and sisters for those who place faith in the finished work of Jesus there is a deliverance that takes place from the dominion, the domain of darkness, Satan himself, there is a transference and we enter into a brand new kingdom of existence. We enter into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are delivered. And the word delivered literally means here to bring to oneself those held in captivity, those who were under the domain of darkness. We have been delivered. We have been set free. We have been placed into, by faith, the kingdom of his beloved son. And this word delivered tonight, I hope, reminds us that the word redeemed is here. The word forgiveness is here. The word transferred is here from our current, uh, the state we were in to the state we are now glorying in, in the kingdom of God. As we wrestle tonight... With how the cross of the Lord Jesus compels us to go serve the vulnerable. It's rooted right here in Colossians chapter 1 to see ourselves as who are the vulnerable ones. We're the vulnerable ones. We were the ones who, apart from Christ, were enslaved to the domain of darkness. Enslaved to the enemy himself. And Jesus entered into the messiness of this world, took on flesh and set us free as we even contemplate what it means for us to go with the gospel and serve the vulnerable in humility. Don't ever forget, we are the most vulnerable. Our soul was eternally at risk and we were delivered from the domain of darkness to the domain, the kingdom of the Son of God. In verse 20, through him, Jesus he reconciled all things to himself, whether in heaven and on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. The idea of reconcile, to exchange, to change. The cross exchanges the broken relationship with God into right relationship with God. And God, through the cross, establishes peace. Where there was no peace, there is now peace through the cross to those, for those who by faith have trusted in the person of Jesus Christ. There is peace with God where before there was condemnation and judgment. Now there is peace. He has set us free. There is redemption. There is forgiveness. There is deliverance. There is peace. So as we prepare tonight to take the Lord's Supper and continue to glory in the cross, listen, I pray for you that we never lose sight of who it was that was on the cross. Nothing less than God himself.
in the flesh. And we never lose sight of all that the cross has fully accomplished for you and for me by faith in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now you know that as the church, God in his great wisdom, Jesus instructed us for generation after generation after generation to practice an ordinance known as the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do that in just a few minutes. And God in his great wisdom has given us the ordinance of the Lord's Supper for a particular reason. There's several reasons. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, we, we read this almost every time we do the Lord's Supper. But tonight, I, I just want to ask you to kind of prepare your hearts here on Good Friday in a special way. As we prepare to come down in just a moment, we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup to worship. As we do this tonight, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, talking about this practice that we're getting ready to do. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, very clearly, on the night before he was crucified, took that bread and said, this is a symbol for generation after generation after generation. You, my church, will do this ordinance, and when you do it, you will remember... The body broken for you. The word remember, we get the word memorial from it. It literally means a memorial. It, it means like something you visit to call back into mind something highly significant from the past. So tonight, I pray as you take that bread, we break that bread. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just because it's what we do when we gather. It is a moment of worship for you to remember the one on the cross was the God-man. All that was accomplished by the cross. Jesus goes on, he says in the same way, take the cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, this ask the Lord to allow our hearts to, to worship in remembrance of who was on the cross? What was accomplished on the cross? And then one final instruction Paul gives, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. The Lord's Supper, again, is a time to remember, and it's a time to examine. It's a time to take a few minutes, and we're going to give you those few minutes in just a second before the Lord, and the busyness of our lives and our days and the distractions of our life to Take space in a moment and ask the Spirit of God to examine our heart, our souls, our motives, our conscience, our intentions, our relationships with one another. Anything that we push to the side, anything that we're trying to cover up, anything between a brother and sister that we're ignoring that we know we need to go make right, anything before Him that we're trying to call it something other than sin. All those things, the gift God gives us to stop and say, okay, Lord, Holy Spirit of God, examine my heart, reveal anything in my life that I need to confess, reveal anything in my life I need to repent and turn by your grace. So as the team makes their way back up, I'm just going to give you a few minutes here in just a second, I'll invite you to come down, but I'm going to give you a minute or two here to do exactly what the Bible says. Take a few minutes in this, remember Lord, prepare my heart to worship through the Lord's Supper. Lord, help me to examine. Examine my heart, Lord. Let's just do that in a, uh, alone as, uh, before the Lord. And then in a the minute, I'll invite us to come down and take the Lord's Supper together.
And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. should have been me that faced the fullness of the wrath of God for my sin? It should have been me. And I like that song, by the way. That's a really good song. But I, I, I do want to point out a truth to us. <laughs> there is a lot more for us to learn about the mercy of God than there is for us to forget. There's so much there. And did you catch it? When she read God's word to us, did you catch that? That Jesus, God set himself apart to go to the vulnerable, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to those who had nothing, the spiritually bankrupt, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the oppressed. Jesus was set apart to go to the vulnerable. We were the vulnerable. And so if we look at history and we understand that the cross essentially stands and divides history, we have to ask ourselves as we come here and call it Good Friday and look forward after the cross, what does it mean for us to pursue Christ-likeness as we serve the vulnerable, those who are at risk? For those of us who have been reconciled through faith in Jesus and now given the ministry of reconciliation. Now us, set apart by God as his ambassadors to take the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. And I think when I say that as a church, we have to realize this is a good thing. This is the Great Commission. This is what we are set apart to be and to do as we live our lives. And there's not much argument about that. And I know it's Good Friday, and I know we're here to look back and remember, but I want to challenge you to think, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to challenge your very worldview as you look out and you consider what it means to serve the vulnerable. And how on earth do we do that like Jesus did it? 
And I want to try to give us a frame as a church who I think in our heart we strive to be like Christ in our service to those who are at risk. And the first thing that I want you to see in Jesus' life is he served today. In other words, he was moved with compassion and love to seize the moment. Again and again, we read this in his life, and I'll break this down in just a moment. But not only that, he prioritized for tomorrow. In other words, he was constantly purposeful with the gospel. He was uncompromising in his focus. The main thing always stayed the main thing. He sought the kingdom first. And those two ideas is what I want to kind of just hold out to us, that we would live our life on mission, seizing the moment, but grounded in the wisdom to always seek first the kingdom of God, keeping the main thing the main thing. And so I want to just break this down in Jesus' life just in just a few moments, just holding up a few examples that you can see what we'll talk about in a minute goes beyond strategy. It goes beyond vision. It's part of our very sanctification of living our life on mission and pursuing Christ-likeness. First, Jesus served those whose community was at risk. The small things, oh, they're meaningful when it's you. But the small things, two examples, one in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is on his way to the house where there in her bed lays a little girl who has died. And word has gotten back to Jesus and said, Jesus, this little girl has died. Please come to the house and do something. Jesus said, she's just asleep. And they almost laughed like, oh, no. we, we, we know, there's no pulse, there's, it, it, this is urgent. And as he is journeying along the way, he is stopped by a woman who's been bleeding for years. Her whole life, this has been a struggle. This isn't life-threatening, but it's inconvenient. It's hard. And he stopped for this woman. But he continued on and he made it to the little girl. And he raised the little girl. Just keep it in mind for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has compassion on the crowds. There's a multitude of people. And they're hungry. Because people get hungry. That's where you say amen. People get hungry, and they're hungry. And it says Jesus had compassion on them, and he fed thousands. Just food. If they don't eat right then, they probably don't all drop over and die. But Jesus fed them. And yet, almost immediately after, he still got in the boat and continued on the mission he was set apart for. He served in those little things and moments. Jesus also served those whose life was at risk. I told you about the little girl in John chapter 11. We know Jesus had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he did. He did. 
realize Jesus didn't raise everyone who died in his ministry. You realize there were, there were still funerals and there were still deaths. And Lazarus, he still died again. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus withdrew. He, he's trying to get alone. He's trying to kind of have time. He's trying to get away from the crowd. And a Canaanite woman comes up to him. And she's screaming. She's pleading for his help. My daughter is oppressed by demons. I'm worried. Her life is at risk. You have the authority. I've heard about your miracles. Help. You know what said Jesus did? Verse 23. He did not answer her a word. That's biblical speak for he ignored her. He didn't immediately run to her. And it was so bad that the disciples came up and said, Jesus, you need to tell this woman to go away. She will not stop screaming about her need. Jesus turns to the woman and says, look, I have been set apart at this time for the house of Israel. This is my focus. The woman says back to Jesus, look, even the dogs get the scraps. Jesus saw her faith and healed her daughter. He said, why are you telling me all these stories? Because I want you to catch something, and it's really important as we look to the vulnerable and consider how we serve them as Jesus served them. As important as those whose community is at risk, as important as those whose very lives are at risk, as important as these things are, vulnerability is ultimately measured by the gospel. It's ultimately measured by one's soul. See, Jesus served the oppressed. He did. Our gospels are filled with illustrations of him doing this. But he never overthrew Rome. And as we look into Easter, I think there's a guy like Judas who thought, that's what's going to happen here. See, Jesus is clearly, no doubt, anti-slavery. But in a world that was filled with slavery, he didn't focus his ministry on ridding the world of slavery. Not in that moment. Jesus, who was compassion, didn't focus his ministry on just making sure everyone has a meal and has clothes. Jesus was loving, but he didn't focus his ministry on extending life expectancy. All these really, really good things. Really good things. But Jesus served those whose soul was at risk first. And all those other things were moments he seized along the way. He understood that our broken community, even our broken lives, were signs that our soul, our soul, our eternity was at risk. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said it this way, look, I know you have needs. You're worried about what you need. 
but seek first the kingdom of God. And as the band gathers to lead us in another song of praise, I want you to meditate and I want you to fix your heart and understand that I know we have needs. I know we are at risk. I know our neighbors have needs. I know our neighbors are at risk. But Jesus did not take upon the cross so that he could just feed and clothe our dead corpses. So that he could prolong our decomposing flesh. Jesus took the cross so that you and I might live. Live. So that our soul would no longer be at risk. And so as we journey from the cross to the vulnerable, we must seize the moment that is in front of us. The moment of kindness, of compassion, of love. The little things that will put food in someone's mouth, that will put clothes on their back. But as we go, we must follow in Christ's example to realize that ultimately, one's vulnerability is measured by the gospel. And there is life in Jesus. He was set apart to proclaim the good news to the spiritually bankrupt. Church, would you continue in your word? First John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be naughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You may be seated. So, we're ending our Neighbors and Nations week a little bit as we're here. And uh, as we do that, as a church, you know we hold up our responsibility to advance the gospel to our neighbors and ultimately across the world to the nations that we as a church together share this awesome privilege and responsibility. And so as we've gathered here on Good Friday, on the end of this week in which we've focused on serving the vulnerable, the connection that I want you to see is the connection that goes straight from the life of Jesus to your neighbor. You and I aren't needed in that. And yet, we get to be part of it. And so as we, we, we come here, I want you to catch some strategies and some vision that we together are a part of, that we share in as a church. And I hope that as we take just a few moments, that your heart will be challenged and encouraged by some of the things that we're doing together. How through funds like Give the Go, which is a mission fund, over and above giving, above our tithes and our offerings through our church that mobilizes 
resources around the world to advance the gospel. How we together are doing some things that individually would not be possible. And I want to share some of that. I want to hold some of that up. But first thing, I want to make sure you get this because this is important. If you're at Tri-Cities Baptist Church and you wonder, what is the primary strategy for serving the vulnerable? Look in a mirror. It's you. It's us. It's not some organization. It's not just some partnership. It's not some strategy. It is you, the people of God, that have been gifted by the Holy Spirit and set apart to proclaim the gospel to the poor. To serve the needs of one another. It's you. You, living on mission, seizing the moment to serve the vulnerable today. Your neighbor when you get home. Your co-worker next week. It is you, in wisdom, seeking the kingdom and prioritizing for tomorrow. But as we do this together, we have done some incredible things things that are frankly beyond us, things that have happened in spite of us. And I want to just share some of these as a way to challenge us to continue to sacrifice our time in prayer, our resources in giving, and our lives to go. To accomplish things like these. Do you realize that just in the Tri-Cities, I mean, we're a small town, it's pretty rural where we're at. You realize in the Tri-Cities, there's over 600 homeless people? We serve them. We partner with organizations like Engage Tri-Cities that continues to put food in people's mouths, clothes on their back, help them learn skills and get jobs. They're hungry all around us. Thousands and thousands are fed. We give to that. We, we work with organizations like Good Samaritan to stock food pantry around the Tri-City. We do that. You know, we're incredibly involved in disaster relief through partnerships, and sometimes we, we get to go and be part of send relief teams through the SBC or through NAM. But through the cooperative program, we work together, whether that's a hurricane or an earthquake, whether that's in our country or around the world, we are part of organizations through our giving and through our willingness to go that help people when they lose everything in a moment. We serve refugees who've had to flee their home and get relocated around the world. We do this in a couple of different ways. One, we work in some really strategic areas. For example, in Clarkson, Georgia, is a major refugee center. And we send teams to come alongside of these people, and the truth is, they're scared. They've lost everything. We send some of our most precious people to go to places where I can't tell you where they're at. To walk in refugee camps and go from tent to tent to proclaim the gospel to people groups who would have otherwise never heard the gospel. We're part of that. We do that. We serve 
the uneducated and the poor around the world. I mean, you guys know families like the Costleys who are from here. They're us. They picked up their life and they've gone to Zambia. They're serving in the Esther school. We serve the suffering in some really precious ways. I, I think maybe one of the ways that sticks out to me that I'm so thankful that our church gets to be part of is with the Agape Women Services here in the Tri-Cities where hundreds of women are there who are just suffering for various different reasons. Some are abusive, homes that they're fleeing and partners that they're fleeing. Some they're trying to get back on their feet after battling with addiction. And in the midst of that, we come alongside of women and couples, and we fight for life. Do you realize that the conservative number, just want to make sure you understand this, the conservative number says that 150,000 abortions happen today in the world. That's, that's wild. Millions and millions every year. And the orphanages around the world and here and those who are orphaned as we come alongside and serve. And listen, there are so many precious families in our church who have ministered to young children through fostering and adoption and partnerships. I want to, you see that, that's in front of you. Let me show you some behind the, the scenes things that our church gets to do in that. And just to kind of paint this picture really quick, I want to make sure you understand what it means to age out. So there's roughly 140 million orphans in the world. 95% of them are older than five, which means it is almost statistically impossible that they will be adopted. 50% of them are teenagers. And most will age out in their country or their orphanage around the age of 16. That means at 16, they're basically given like the equivalent, I'll, get, I'll set it up in our context, they're given 20 bucks, they said, you're 16, you can't stay here, good luck. And maybe they connect them with some partnerships, depending on the orphanages, depending on the country, and maybe they just walk out to the street with 20 bucks to their name, 16 years old, with good luck. You realize of those students around the world, those teenagers around the world, as best we can gather the stats that are in, 70% of those boys will be criminals. 70% as we track them who age out, end up in prison in their country and in their setting. 60%, and again, this is the conservative stat, 60% of the girls will enter into prostitution at some stage in their life as they have been aged out. And the suicide rate is just a little over 10% for these people. Millions. Vulnerable. I'm so thankful for our church as we adopt and we do different things. We work with organizations. One of the organizations I work with, one of the things that we do is we move around the world and work with local churches and ministries and denominations to help network and resource them with strategies as local churches 
to come alongside of that aging out process so that a church locally can put their arms around those kids as they walk out in the street and do the best they can to love on them, to serve them, and to walk alongside them as they're vulnerable. We do that. When you give to give to go, you're part of that. That's an incredible blessing as a church. There are press. They're calling to say thank you, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> there are oppressed and persecuted. We support churches and missionaries in closed countries. Through Give the Go and what we're doing, we're seeing the gospel break into places where there are, I mean, there, there's real life danger, real persecution. We are a part of that. Us here in Little East Tennessee, through our prayer, through our willingness to go, and through our shared giving to organizations like Give the Go, we get to be part of that. And so as a church, I just want to celebrate with you. And I want to give praise to God for letting us be part of something he didn't have to. And I want to challenge you as you go out. Serve the vulnerable today. Serve the vulnerable today with whatever opportunities in front of you while prioritizing the proclamation of the gospel and wisdom for tomorrow. Continue to sacrifice your time in prayer, praying for opportunities and boldness. Continue to sacrifice your time and your willingness to go, maybe to Clarkson for a few days, maybe on the other side of the world for a few months, maybe with your life. And continue to sacrifice in your mutual giving. In the, in the pews in front of you, you'll see our Give to Go pledge cards. We've aimed as a church to raise $1 million by the end of 2021. None of it stays here. All of it goes out for the things like we're talking about. Church, Jesus was set apart to proclaim the good news to the spiritually bankrupt. And he has reconciled us and now gives us that very ministry to proclaim the good news to the vulnerable. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good. You are worthy to be exalted. Father, your name is worthy to be known by every breathing person on the planet. Father, give us your eyes to see people as you see them. Father, may we be broken for those whose soul is at risk. May we be wise in our strategy to reach out. To reach out. May we be bold in our proclamation. And Lord, may we be sacrificial with our lives and our resources. Lord, as we do, give us your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your love 
to serve the vulnerable today. To serve those whose community and lives are at risk today. Lord, may we serve the vulnerable as you serve the vulnerable. May we be like you. Thank you for paying the penalty for our sin on the cross. Thank you for reconciling us. Thank you for giving us the ministry of reconciliation. May we at Tri-Cities Baptist Church be faithful in what you have set us apart to be. We pray all this in the name of your Son, the name of our risen Savior, the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?